Brian Shaw. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see all of you on this beautiful Minnesota fall day. Historians agree that a, a critical cause of World War I uh, was secret alliances, uh, governments and countries getting together and creating alliances with one another with nobody else knowing. Now, though they didn't start the war, secret alliances drew many uh, nations into the war once it began, and it expanded the scope and the destruction of the conflict. And some say that that war hasn't ended, that all the wars that have preceded it, uh, uh, actually that came after it, uh, were actually part of that same conflict. Uh, this issue, secret alliances, among others, was never addressed in the Treaty of Versailles in France, which put an end to World War I, but l left so many things undone, unaddressed, and so on, that peace has been elusive for all the years since. Uh, again, many believe that every conflict since that time is an indication that we're still fighting what they called the Great War. What causes of World War III will we not see? We know it's coming, we know it's inevitable, uh, the skirmishes that we've had since World War II, which stemmed from World War I in the Great War, uh, created uh, conflicts in Korea, South Vietnam, Middle East, border restructuring and uh, other alliances and so on have been uh, uh, an issue ever since. And, but we, my question is, will we see these? Will we see them in advance? It's easy to look back in history Hindsight's 2020 and say that was a cause. What are the causes now? Are we seeing them now? Are we understanding them now? Today's uh, very extensive media resources make us think that we know what's going on in this world. But in truth, we only know what we are allowed to know. It's a huge filtering process going through uh, before the news actually ever reaches us. That which we think informs us is very highly managed to manipulate us. And it doesn't matter if this is conservative or, or liberal. That's not the issue. The issue is there's a filtering process going on that we need something special to understand, to look beneath, to read between the lines and recognize what's going on. Uh, political bias and shallow news reporting only draws in viewers with fear-mongering and sensationalism. Is that why we watch? Is that what helps us to tune in or inspires us to tune in? What is behind what we read, what we see, and what we hear? Quite often, it's hidden from us. Reality can only be understood by those who know and live the word of God. When I see people that reject the truth of God, I see people that don't want to live in reality. They don't want the world as it is. They don't want to understand why it got here or where it's going. And they, and they, don't, they want to escape from it to some video games or movies or some social network that they can just go and play in and forget all that's going around them. And that only adds to the problem of not being able to see what's going on. The truth, the word of God, is a template that helps us to overlay world events with meaning. We've talked about this before. We have to see through the filter of the scriptures to recognize what's going on around us. Otherwise, on the surface, we just won't dig that deep. We won't see. Without truth, we are reduced to only what is on the surface, only the superficial labels that we hear and see, images that we are shown. But our watching, Christian watching, as Christ described it, has to be deeper. 
uh, uh, to understand what is truly happening. If we rely only on the sheep's clothing, we will miss the wolf inside. It's only uh, those who are actually living the truth in love that will recognize the patterns of behavior underneath the sheep's clothing uh, that they see will oppose or see in, in opposition. It's a contrast between the way we're living and the way the world is going, and that's what helps us to understand this. This message today is the 14th in our series on the 14th Mysteries of God. Um, this is We've gone through a number of subjects here, understanding uh, that is only given by God's revelation. Uh, we've only been through 12 of these. The first message was a, an overview and of speaking to the importance of God's revelation and knowing how to follow it. But we've covered 12 different mysteries since that time. God himself was the first one, his will, his wisdom, his Christ, his kingdom, the faith, his only institution of marriage, uh, Christ and his church. We've also looked at godliness and lawlessness, made the comparison between those two. Uh, we've looked at the Gentiles as heirs, and the last message that we covered was the seven stars and lampstands of Revelation. With each of these, as we went through them, we learned to better appreciate the distinctive blessings these revelations provide for those who order their lives by them. They don't happen any other way. I mean, God can speak to them, but we won't grasp them or understand them unless we're living them, unless we're living that truth and love. We've also learned that these mysteries remain mysteries to all those who do not live that way. It provides the filtering system that enables us to understand what's going on. Today we'll review the 13th of these mysteries, the mystery of the woman and the beast of Revelation 17. Now, prophetically, we understand what these images represent. But my question is, will we realize them? Will we recognize them when we see them? Or are we looking at it as an image or a label, something that we will see on the surface and think may be obvious? First of all, who are these two? Uh, in Revelation 11 and verse 15, you can just write these down as references, is where the seventh angel begins to sound his trumpet. And we know that once he sounds that seventh trumpet, there are seven vials that come afterwards. But that doesn't happen until uh, chapter 16. In between there, verses 12 through 15 are inset chapters. Those bowls or vials represent the wrath of God. The last year, what we anticipate to be a three and a half year period before the return of Christ. The first two and a half years represent Satan's wrath through some pretty strong uh, tools uh, and persecution of God's people. But that last day of the Lord, something happens before them. Something that we have to recognize now and see now before that three and a half year period begins. And for those who will be in that first two and a half years of persecution, what we call the Great Tribulation, we'll need to know and understand when the day of the Lord begins, probably well before that. Let's start in Revelation chapter 13 here. My new Bible has these cool ribbons in it. So I can theoretically go right to the scripture. There it is. The pages still like to stick together a little, you know, new Bibles. Okay, Revelation 13, let's begin reading verses 1 through 9 and understand this, this first beast. Now, what's described in Revelation 13 is uh, an historic trend of two imposing forces, a governmental body and a kind of a religious body. 
and how they've influenced the world over the years. This is big picture view as we move into 17 and actually describe the woman dressed in scarlet who's riding the seventh beast in this series on the scarlet beast. That's a lot more specific and it's, it's pointing to that time of that two and a half year period prior to the return of uh, Jesus Christ and then the, the day of the Lord before that, I should say, three and a half year period. Revelation 13 verses one through nine. As we go through these and as we read these, try to capture a mindset of the nature of these beasts. Okay, not just the labels, not just the images of them, but dig deeper and see their mannerisms, their behaviors, their actions, because as we identify them, we'll see their influence in our age today. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the, on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. We've referred to this before as the sea of being peoples and nations and so on. We see this as a, a political entity, a governmental power. Having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. We can't, I'm not going to get into the detail of these images. I think we've heard many of these before. We can certainly study into them. The United Church of God has got a number of different sources on the book of Revelation that would help us to understand that. But we know what this is pointing to. It's pointing to the Roman Empire. Or the, the mindset of the empires of men encapsulated in Rome. Verse 2, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. We need to understand uh, what Daniel writes in Daniel 7, specifically verse 7, and how he describes those nations with the same uh, beasts that are described here, the lion, uh, the bear, the leopard, and then the, the fourth beast, which is a compilation of those and more terrifying. Verse three and, I, 3, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled following the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? This worshipping of the dragon is certainly a reference to Satan the devil, the, the ruler of this age. Here is a government of men that is dominant, world-ruling, powerful, uh, in, in many ways. And in fact, uh, whereas Rome in history has, has been just seen as a, a vicious uh, tyrant of an empire, now it, you're, you're starting to see in this day and age it becoming uh, kind of a model for everyone. And we'll talk about that a bit later. Um, the, the, the mindset of it has changed. And there's a recognition that it's godless, and people don't care. They, they like the fact that they will like the fact that men and women will like this world-ruling empire in all of its power and its own glory and so on. Verse 5, And he was given a mouth speaking great things with blasphemies, and he was given authority to, to continue for 42 months. That, again, is a reference to that three-and-a-half-year period before Christ return, uh, returns. Then he opened his mouth in... in see the pages are sticking together. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. This doesn't seem obvious to many. Uh, but, but you can see some of this today in the, the nature and mannerisms of the, of the governments of this age. They're, they are determined to make a go of it apart from God. And when people bring God into a discussion or any kind of spiritual, all-ruling, intelligent creator, 
they get they get upset and uh, um, often blaspheme. Verse seven: It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Again, that's that two and a half year period. Some of the church, Revelation twelve, will be taken to a place of safety, uh, but others will be left behind to face that two and a half year period. Um, and authority was given over uh, every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. And then there's this, this uh, statement in verse 10. We'll read that as we move into the next section. So the first beast is a governmental system of men empowered by the ruler of this age. It's predatory in nature. All of those beasts are nocturnal and predatory. They feed off other animals, not, not grass or uh, uh, anything, non-meat. Of course, bears, I think, will eat about anything, including birdseed. <laughs> um, but they'll, but they, they chiefly eat on meat. Uh, they are, each of these are stealthy in nature. You typically do not know they're on you until they're on you. And when their stealth is broken... Uh, in a predator, uh, they tend to give up the hunt. They just, they just walk away. Uh, they, they, they operate in stealth. They're very powerful, they're very fast, and they're very brutal. We need to remember those as, as natures of that government. Again, Daniel describes them as amassing the strengths of the four world, world ruling empires. This is in Daniel 7. He mentions the lion, which is the Babylonian Empire, the bear, which is the Chaldean, uh, the leopard, four-headed leopard, which is the Greco-Macedonian Empire, which inevitably split into four different divisions, and then the Roman Empire, which amassed its power by taking elements of the strengths of the three that went before them. Daniel describes the last of these, the Roman Empire, as dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue. I mean, it wasn't enough just for them to break into pieces. They had to trample it down. It was, a, it was an ego thing. Now, Revelation 13, verses 10 through 18, another beast is mentioned. This warning is given here in verse 10, uh, inspired uh, uh, by Christ, obviously, and but given to John. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. You may listen to something on the media and get stirred up by it. You're upset and angry what's happening at the border. You're upset what's, hap- what's happening with the economy. You're upset with, uh, I don't know, elections or whatever. When you find yourself getting into that mindset, recognize the warning here. Our, we're not supposed to return evil with evil. But with love, Christ told us that. Love your enemy. If they take into captivity, we don't retaliate that way. If they kill with the sword, we don't kill with the sword. Uh, Here is the patience, the long-suffering nature of the faith of the saints. That's us. But we need to recognize as we're watching these things that we're not drawn into them like everybody else is and want to retaliate the way everybody else is. Um, Verse 11 now. Verses 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Notice that the first one came up out of the water, which is more unstable, waves, tide, and so on. It's not as, uh, it's not as uh, founded 
as one coming up on the land. Uh, and this is why we make a, dis dis a distinction between a governmental power coming up out of the water of nations and so on versus a religious entity coming up out of the land. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, very much an image of that first beast, having very much the same tendencies in the same nature. Um, but different about it, different approach, maybe more stealthy, more deceptive, more hidden. He exercised all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Worship this governmental entity. This is the best man can put together. And, and when you look at Rome, the, the leaders of Rome were considered divine, godlike. And today you watch people who look to the government to do everything for them, provide for them, teach them, educate them, take care of them when they're, when they're sick, and they listen to everything they're told to by a government which may be simply enslaving them or putting them into captivity or taking from them the freedoms that at least the founding documents of this country said that God gave them. And people are willingly giving those up. Now, we should recognize something different in this we should recognize what God wants in this age, in this plan, in his creation for his people made in his image and called and chosen to be in his church versus what we need to capitulate to or what a governmental entity is making us or uh, trying to make us to capitulate to. He, this is the, the second beast, performs great signs so that, he can, that even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Um, he, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Um, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed." He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand uh, or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has, who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Again, we won't go into the details of all this. We're reading through these so we can extract from them an understanding of the nature of these two. The second beast, again, is a false religious system of men, uh, also empowered by the ruler of this age. It's deceptive. It's very popular among men. It is capable of lying wonders. Uh, it is joined with the first beast, uh, forging its image, or convincing men to forge an image to it, and then forcing all to worship it. Some of the same tendencies that we saw in that governmental system. These two ruling systems of men are designed to deceive and to subjugate in opposition to God's rule in truth and love. And those living the truth in love will recognize the nature of these two beasts, they will not allow themselves to be deceived or to be subjugated because they belong to a different government. 
These two are, are, are likely, these two concepts of human rule in the governmental sense and the religious sense uh, was quite likely prominent from Eden uh, right to the flood. You can see portions of this as the flood ended. You can see some of the aftermath, destruction of family and so on that led to the flood, and, then, and, then, and that their minds were only set on evil. And then afterwards, in the first system of Babel, uh, which is a reference, again, to the Babylonian system of government, probably instituted initially by uh, Nimrod, but then grown to um, be ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. Likely prominent from Eden to the flood, but, as was revealed to Daniel, they have at least been evident in human history since Babel. And elements of these were in all four of those, of those ruling empires but they will grow in power and influence until the day of the Lord. Their final alliance is described in Revelation 17. Let's go to there. Revelation 17. We'll just read uh, verses 1 through 6 here. There's so much to cover in all of this if you wanted to be exhaustive in this. I want to keep this in the context, though, of simply recognizing them in their, in their nature. Um, Revelation 17, verses 1 through 6. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, calls her a harlot, who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. They liked that. They, they, uh, they wanted to be like that. Verse 3, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and he said, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, Mother of Harlots and of the Abominations of the Earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And then I saw her, or when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, uh, from verse 7 on, there is a, a description of the mystery. Uh, I was not going to read that, but let's go through that as well, and then we'll, then we'll review on all this. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman of the beast that carry, and the, of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. These are a reference to the seven heads or the seven different resurrections of the Roman Empire over the years. Uh, and this, is, this would be the seventh. And the ten horns, uh, which were the ten final kings that will come together for a moment uh, to create a final entity as we understand, centered in Europe, but not certainly not exclusive to Europe. I mean, the far-ranging world effects would be, again, global in nature. In fact, globalism is one of those uh, pushing agents and elements that are bringing this power into place. Uh, verse 8, The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, Roman Empire. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not yet is. Here is the mind 
which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains or kingdoms, individual uh, kingdoms, resurrections of this beast on which the woman sits. She's riding them, all of them. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. Uh, that verse is uh, very specific to the uh, church in this end time, realized first in the 1930s and has founded our, our prophetic understanding of, of what this is since. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are alliances, quite possibly secret alliances that are already in place now. Verse 14, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lord and kings of kings, uh, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Uh, the, the, this religious entity that came from the land now is so mixed and so politically tied with the power at that end time that she also influences uh, peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, the basis of her power. Verse 16, and then the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. They, the ten kings don't like the fact that they're ruled over or forced uh, from a, a religious standpoint to do the bidding of the, the second beast or the woman that rides the, uh, the beast itself. When you get this, just talk about the image of that for a moment. Is the woman actually riding the beast or is the beast just kind of carrying her for a time until he bucks her off and does what he wants to do? A very, very weak alliance, a very weak union between the two um, that will eventually be destroyed. Uh, for God has put into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast uh, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, this, in this description, the woman, again, is a church of men riding uh, a beast that is representative of a government of men, each led by the ruler of this age, the, the Satan, the devil. God has revealed to us the identity of these two prophetic characters. We've known it for 70 plus years that the beast is the Roman Empire and the woman is the church of the Roman Empire. But if we only watch for these labels, uh, Rome, church, government, and so on, um, and especially if we get the, those labels directly from a biased and dishonest media, we will miss the character of this beast, the nature of the beast, and the woman, their strategies and their tactics and their influence on humanity uh, that will remain a mystery to us in this age. Now, once, once the three and a half year period begins, it's too late. I mean, we can recognize it, but we don't make modifications and changes in our behavior now to prevent their influence. And that's what's critical for us now in this age, at this point in time in Bible prophecy. We have to overlay the truth, the practice of the truth, onto world events to recognize the nature of the beast and the woman who rides it. There's a, there's a nature to them. There's a character to them that we should be able to see in world events as we see them. The nature of the beast, again, is a compilation of four empires it represents. Um, 
and, and we've already talked about what those are, but they're compiled in one entity of what is called the Roman Empire. Now, will they be, will they be marching with chariots and horses and you know, gold uh, uh, emblems on their chest and armor with spears and, like the Roman Empire did so many years ago? Is that what we're looking for? How will that, how will that manifest itself in this day and age? Tanks, airplanes, aircraft carriers, I mean, how would we even know? And how would we know who's behind it? Uh, the Roman Empire, this is, a, this is a, a book. You can find this online. I think it's freely readable. Uh, entitled, The Roman Empire, Roots of Imperialism by Neville Morley, M-O-R-L-E-Y. In chapter 2, he goes into detail discussing the very nature of the Roman Empire. And he concludes there are three things that all of the uh, entities, all seven heads of the Roman Empire have had. He did not know the seven heads, but he's looking at the nature of that world-ruling empire. The first part of the nature was world expansionism. You see, uh, a unity, a central government over the entirety of the world, which is not God's way. We know he set the borders between nations. He told people to disperse, not gather together. And, and the only world-ruling empire there will be will, Jesus, will be under Jesus Christ at his return. So when we see this concept of, of globalism, a multiculturalism, everybody coming together, everyone tolerating one, tolerating one another's sin, just as long as you pay your taxes and keep the peace, peace as Rome would define it, we, can, we should see that, that whoever's pushing that entity is being manipulated by the beast and, and by the woman that rides him. It was inconceivable uh, to Roman leaders that anyone could resent Roman dominance. Leaders had divine rights. They were looked to as gods. Thus, they and their governments were to be worshipped. They were to be served. You see that growing and growing and growing in the nature of governments in this day and age, especially as they consolidate. The second element after world expansionism, he mentions urbanization. Urbanization. I don't know if you know this, but... Uh, China has built cities long before people were inhabiting them. I don't know if they're being inhabited now. I read this article maybe four or five years ago. Whole cities built and ready for people to inhabit because they saw a certain economic advantage in urbanization. And no, no doubt the Roman Empire saw that as well. The Roman Empire ruled through city-states as agents of social, economic, and cultural control. They used magistrates in those areas and gave them freedom as long as the revenue stream and the peace was kept, the Rome would intervene very little. But because the magistrate in that area, about 150 of them for Rome, um, they wanted to be part of this elitist Roman Empire, oftentimes they subjugated their, uh, their constituents and the people that they ruled. Rome's chief means of concentrating people in cities collaborating city to city and with uh, magistrates ruling those cities, integrating and differentiating was done this way through urbanization. Uh, the third element that um, Morley talks about is pacification. Pacification. And even though that sounds like a peaceful word, um, it was centralized rule, forcing order, and imposing peace. The Roman historian Tacitus was, uh, was talking to a British chieftain uh, 
Calgacus in one of his uh, one of his publications. I think he only made, had two. I forget which one this is. But the chief uh, Calgacus, his name is spelled C-A-L-G-A-C-U-S, if you'd like to look this up. He described the Roman Empire this way. They make a desert and call it peace. So they want quiet. You know, I think Bill Cosby said this about kids. Parents aren't concerned about fairness. They want quiet. <laughs> so they... They enforce quietness. And that's what the Roman Empire did, often very brutally, very viciously. Uh, no rebellion, no disagreement, no dissension. And if the magistrate couldn't, or the governor could not mandate that, enforce that with his own forces, then Rome would move in and just lay everything waste, uh, much like Titus did to Jerusalem in, uh, near 70 A.D., uh, the popularity of the Roman Empire, as I mentioned earlier, is actually growing in elitist global circles in recent years. It is now being glorified for its, and I, these are all, uh, I've taken these from um, kind of elitist history teachers and uh, empire builders, basically. It's now being glorified for, number one, its inclusiveness. Rome was inclusive. I guess if you're going to conquer the world, you've got to be inclusive, Right? And their collaborative nature, willing to work with city-states and giving them freedom and so on, as long as they did what they were told. And how it embraced the outsider. This is a, this is a historian's description of Rome. Inclusive, collaborative, and embracing the outsider. They sound all real nice, right? Sure. Participate or be excluded. Uh, capitulate or be cut off. Join or die. Are we seeing that trend growing in the world today? I mean, even in the countries where the descendants of Israel live? Are you seeing that force? Capitulate or, cut or be cut off. Participate or be excluded. Join or die. It is the influence of the beast. We need to see that. Now, the woman... And I'll just give you references. We've read some of these already. Revelation 17, verses 5 through 6. Uh, it's important for us to remember in, in, as we read through that, that this woman is a religious entity described in the image of the first beast. So she's going to have some of the same tendencies, only from a, a different, a, a religious or seemingly a spiritual perspective. In Revelation 17, 18, we read this. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, and she will be the pride of the world. And the Bible doesn't say that. She, reads, she, she reigns over the kings of the earth, largely because she has popularity. The people like her, so the kings tolerate her for a while. She's the pride of the world. Her influential relationships will reach into the highest political and social circles of the, of the world. She's also the relentless persecutor of Christians. She's described that way. And you know why? Because she's a phony. She's a con artist. Okay? And con artists hate the way the real thing, when it shows up, exposes their fraud. I, I remember this line from a movie. Anyone ever see the movie uh, uh, Leap of Faith? Steve Martin? It's a really good movie. It's hard to find, though. Well, at, towards the end of it, a, 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 he, was a, he was a fake uh, preacher, um, 
a, a tent gospel preacher and he, he used fake healings to get people to come in and give him money and so on. Well, one kid actually got healed on his watch. Hey, he had nothing to do with it, but the kid thought so and everybody else did. So, but the, the con artist preacher was the, was the one that was most nervous by this. And he had a conversation with the boy at the end and the boy said, well, oh, you healed me. And, and the Steve Martin character said, no, son, I had nothing to do with that. He said, I'm a con artist. I've been one since I was your age, in my teenage years. I've always been, you know, pulling one, one kind of scam or another. He said, uh, and I've never worried about the cops. You can always deal with the cops if you're a con artist. What I can't deal with is the real thing. Because when the real thing shows up, everyone knows you're a fake. Everyone knows it. And you, kid, he said, are the real thing. The real thing is going to be hated by this woman. Because we are, we are practicing the truth in love. We are the true children of God, the true church of God, and they'll hate us, and they will come after us. Um, in Revelation 18, verse 3, we read, The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This concept of, of a harlot is important for us to understand as well. God calls her a harlot. So she has very corrupt entanglements, managing various relationships, not loyal to either, just kind of working each of them to see what's for her own advantage. Uh, corrupt entanglements that, that start from shacking up with anyone for her own advantage. She is incapable of loyalty. She's not based on principle. She's more of a politician herself, appealing to the masses. And as we've seen over the years, that Roman church went into areas, kept all of the holidays those areas have had in the past, and just renamed them. And they will always go with what the, the waters or the masses that she's riding on want to do. And you need to see that as well. Are they, are, is this church or spiritual entity, as she probably calls herself, is she basing her decisions on true principles of scripture or her political influences? or the power she wants to gain. We should see that. People throughout the world will embrace her satanic approach toward personal and spiritual relationships. This is her spiritual harlotry, loyal to none. Uh, they will welcome her influence and power over them. She will boast, this is uh, Revelation 18:7. I sit as a queen uh, and am no widow and will not see sorrow. God, however, labels her a city full of abominations. He condemns her practices and will destroy her along with every corrupt tradition she's ever preserved. We should see this. We should understand this. Many obsess over who this woman is and the beast she rides and have made false assumptions over the years about her. God rarely inspires prophecies and specifics, usually in generalities, so that we would understand what's coming, not be able to pinpoint a date, but prepare for those things. When we try to get detailed with these kinds of prophecies, we can miss the deeper truisms that would enable us to see what he wants us to see here. Rather, we have to look at what the woman is and what the beast is and identify patterns that we can use to identify them. Here, here is, I don't think this is an exhaustive, exhaustive list, but this is what I came up with. Number one, Tyranny over free moral agency. Tyranny over free moral agency. Any effort to steal property that God has given, 
to diminish one's accountability for life, choices that they make, a good or bad, or remove free moral agency is counter to God's plan. It works against it. God gave humans responsibility to choose so that their character can grow. Once free moral agency is taken away, that can't happen. Once they are not held accountable for the choices and decisions they make in their life, that can't happen. They can't grow in that kind of character. Once the property that they have is stolen, bit by bit, bit by bit, not all at once, they begin working as slaves of that entity rather than the servants of God. Second concept here, above the law versus under it. The lead is to consider themselves so smart, so great, so holy in a, in a, uh, a non-godly biblical way, perhaps designated by that, that um, harlot. They consider themselves above the law. The law is for the minions. It's for everybody else. They're under the law. We're above it. Every human, though, we know harbors the lawlessness that provokes sin. Those that consider themselves elite reject this and in doing so reveal themselves as agents of the ruler of this age, not the ruler of the age to come. Those who are the agents of God consider themselves lowly. To be great, we have to serve others. We have to consider ourselves slaves. The mindset that I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, I'm I'm, uh, more educated than you are, I have greater power and greater acceptance, so you have to do what I say and I don't have to, is what we should be looking for. Strength in alliances versus strength in God. This is the third one. Their strength come from alliances, political alliances, not strength in the word of God or their trust and faith in God. I'll just give you a couple of examples here in scripture. The angelic rebellion in Revelation 12, verse 4, where Satan's tail drew a third of the stars from the heaven, took a third of the angels away. Couldn't just stand up to God on his own, make his point, his complaint, whatever that was. He had to draw an alliance behind him. You can see the same thing in number 16 in the rebellion of Korah. Uh, Korah couldn't just go to Moses and, and, uh, and uh, Aaron in, in private and talk to them. No, he had to bring 250 men of Israel, leaders, with him that he considered his power. He wasn't standing on the word of God. He had actually distorted it and convinced others to do the same. When you see someone making strengths in alliances versus uh, having their strength in the word of God, you know uh, that's the nature we should be watching out for in the beast and the woman. Entitlement versus justice. Entitlement versus justice. Quite often governments will hand things out for free. But a wise man once told me there's no such thing as free (laughs) at all. There's no such thing as a free lunch. You've probably heard that. You're going to get asked something. There's going to be a payback at some point in time. You're going to become so dependent on the stream of income or support from an entity that eventually they're going to come to you and say, okay, now time to pay the piper. We want you to do this. And if you don't, we're going to take away that stream of revenue. When you see that happening, you're seeing the influence of the beast. This is how the Roman government controlled things. Entitlement versus justice. People are bought and sold this way. You take that money, you're bought. And at some point in time, you will be sold. It's an enslavement tactic. And and, and they will eventually be controlled by a constant barrage of divisive issues. You're seeing this today. We talked about this in the past six months or so, about we can't allow ourselves to be divided by the same things that are divided 
are dividing this country and the world right now. I don't care if it's COVID. I don't care if it's racism. I don't care if it's governmental. I don't care if it's left or right, conservative or liberal. I don't, I don't care if it's about education or voting. None of those things matter to those who are in the government of God, whose citizenship is in heaven. They should not be separating us. I think we talked about that on, on trumpets. But we should see what's happening around us, divisive issues that are favoring one class over another, using all of those categories. I don't care if it's wealth. I don't care if it's sex. I don't care if it's race. any, Any means to divide and pit one against the other. This causes unrest, and it instigates fighting among ourselves. And that's what we're seeing in this country and all over the world. Well, that's injected to individuals who don't understand who want to be manipulated by the spirit of the ruler of this age to fight and to destroy one another. So for for the people on on the conservative side, the evil ones are the liberals. And for those on the liberal side, the evil ones are the conservatives. And you don't even see any attempt to come together based upon governing documents, what's good for the country, what's good for the people they lead. None of that. We can't get embroiled in that. That's a tactic of the Roman Empire. Keep them fighting among themselves so we can do whatever we want. Rulers, when they're fighting among themselves, themselves, then rulers can justify increasing their control to bring peace. A desert can be very peaceful (laughs) to a Roman. Next, Next one is The perpetuation of evil versus repentance leading to mercy. Proverbs 12 and verse 10 says, The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. I'll give you just a small example. Someone's on the street asking for money, and one person goes up to them and gives them five bucks. The other person decides they're going to build a homeless shelter, uh, or, or to work with individuals who come to homeless shelters to educate them, get them off drugs, get them off alcohol, and get them into a point where they can actually contribute to society, make their own income, and have a decent life. Which one is the most tender of the mercies? Which one is not wicked? The one who slapped $5 in someone's hand and just walked on thinking they did a great thing? Or the one that actually did something to help the individual on the street? And the second one is much bigger, much more extensive, and probably will go nowhere in this end of the end times. But at least the, the love is there. The true mercy was there. The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. They're not interested in fixing the problems of those people because they feed off the problems of those people. They create poor. They create the indigent. They create those who depend on them. This is the Roman government. And it's infiltrated the entirety of the world, including uh, the nations of Israel. The next one, disloyalty versus trust. We talked about these ten kings being a very loose and very suspicious alliance. They're suspicious of one another. They hate the harlot, but they're allowing her to have her way for now. Trust is what increases prosperity. If you and I make a deal with one another, it's based upon the trust that we have with one another that we will fulfill our part of that contract. But infidelity prevents it. The harlotry prevents it. 
No one's loyal to a harlot because a harlot's loyal to no one. And that way and that style is being adopted all over the world today. It's being pushed by the harlot herself. The prostituting nature of a harlot offers the excitement of sex without the binding commitment of love. And that's so destructive. God calls it an abomination. The last one, at least that I have. Again, these are not exhaustive. These are just ones that I thought of. Deception versus truth. Deception versus truth. You know how many people are growingly believing a lie? Perhaps most of those who are unwilling to accept reality, whose lives are wrapped up in things that are just not true, not real. We have to have the love of the truth to see deception. It's not just knowing academically what the truth is or where to look for it. It has to do with how we're living it, how it's becoming part of us, how it's being written into our hearts and minds. And that takes practice of it. You will not see that in uh, the Roman Empire. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2 here, and I'll conclude here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we'll read verses 7 through 12. For the mystery of lawlessness, anomia, which is embedded in every human being, the mystery of lawlessness, we read through this when we covered that section, is already at work. It's already at work. And this is written by Paul in the first century AD. If it was already at work then, isn't it already at work now? In fact, how much more deeply embedded is it? How much more widespread than what he just saw in Asia Minor in writing to the Thessalonians? It's already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. This may be some physical law or government. It could have been an angel. There's a lot of speculation on who it is now that restrains. Uh, ultimately, it, was, it would be God. And what we've seen in the last 100 to 200 years, at least in our country and worldwide, God has been removed. God has been taken out of the way. And he has allowed that for the purpose of the end time, to fulfill prophecy. Verse 8, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's all ahead of us. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. He leads both the beast and the woman with all power, signs, and lying wonders. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Or that they may not be deceived. Or that they could see the nature of the beast and the woman because they practice the truth and are developing the love that comes from practicing the truth. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God will reveal the agents of the ruler of this age, but we have to be living the truth in love to recognize them. Look for nature, look for behavior, look for tendencies that the Bible describes. Look into sources that describe uh, these entities, the woman and the beast that she rides. In many ways, the influence of the beast and the woman 
have even permeated the nations of Israel, so much so that some people think the nation of Israel or those descendant nations are the beast or are the woman. But that's how influencing she has been and the beast itself. If we are willing to see it, if we are willing to look for these natures, this behavior, this tendency, we'll see it all over the world. We'll see it everywhere because it's that influencing and it's that close to coming to an end. Again, if you look at the, the founding fathers of our nation, this is not what we, they aspired us to become. Uh, but nonetheless, it describes who, what we now are, if you're willing to see it. Right now, the U.S. government is more in line with the ten planks of the Communist Manifesto than it is with the Ten Commandments of God. We've been embracing Marxist concepts in our government and laws for over 100 years. In the past 20 to 30 or 40, we've been throwing out God's commandments everywhere. The seeds of World War III, brethren, have already been sown. But like those hidden alliances prior to uh, 1914, 1915, beginning of the First World War or the Great War, we don't necessarily see them now unless we know what to look for. World War III is inevitable. And it is approaching rapidly. Don't let our current fake prosperity make you think otherwise. Um, its preliminary causes are likely, uh, they've already begun. They're already in practice. And I've talked about some of them here, but there are probably many more. The harlot religious system and the imperialistic Bishi rise are moving toward world domination. But if we think that we, they will be obvious to us, that they will be paraded before us by a lying and manipulative media who are themselves under the sway of the deceptive prince of the power of the air. We are sorely mistaken. We've got to look deeper. And we've got to have the ability, living in the love of the truth, in the truth in, pra in practice, in love, so that we can recognize and understand these. Only those who practice the truth and love as a way of life will see through the way of death proposed by these two for all those who do not, the woman and the beast she rides will remain a mystery.